Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. And my name is Sydney. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this analysis are Alessandro Maniscalco and Rebecca. You can find us all on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this particular episode, we're going to be talking about Scene 20 from Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. And this is the scene where Diana saves Steve from the German spies in the famous alleyway kind of action scene. So, uh, first of all, Sydney, let's just kind of like pull back overall and think about what's the kind of big contribution of this scene to the movie, and are there some character development things that are kind of that really come from this scene. For me, the thing that really stands out is this is Diana's first use of powers really in man's world. Like now she's in a city street, she's wearing, you know, man's world clothing, there's men around her, but she shows her, you know, skills and bracelets and speed and stuff. And so for me, that's really a kind of a unique thing that is very kind of iconic and memorable from this scene. Right. It's reminding you that she's an Amazon, you know, you can take the Amazon out of Themyscira, but you can't take the (laughs) Themyscira out of the Amazon. Yeah. And it too, like there's some character development here or kind of like a character reminder, I would call it, because Mm -hmm. this scene, she does this alleyway stuff and she's in our world, but then she says, you know, like Ares has you under your control. So this is reminding us that she still just has this worldview of thinking Ares is behind everything. Um, So even though she's wearing clothes that we recognize and she's on streets that we recognize, the way that she is making sense of the world and conflict and stuff is still very much colored by like where she's coming from. Right. It, it, it kind of shows that she is the one who's very out of place here. So, you know, her, her way of fighting is completely unexpected to the goons that they fight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, her she's not quite up to speed on the situation yet. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, this scene, for me, I just think about like the pacing. So a lot of people commend this movie and say it has really nice pacing. And part of that, I think, is they do things like this scene, which is where they find a way to put a burst of action in, mm-hmm. um, even while you're kind of like, you know, getting some of the plot in place and you're getting some characters onto the scene. So you're doing these things where you have to move the chess pieces into place. Right. And a lot of a lot of the action is going to pay off later. But they found something like this to just have a cool little bracelet moment and stuff and a little bit of that energy. So I think it's it's this kind of thing that really leads people to feel like the pacing was so strong for this movie. Exactly. And it's a great um, preview of what's to come. So part of the scene is framed as there isn't a whole lot of drama to it. Like you, you pretty much know that Diana's going to defeat all these guys easily. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a good reminder that, yeah, she's a very competent fighter, but they're saving all of the big reveals and all of the big moments for the no man's land scene later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's famous from this scene, uh, a lot of people have talked about and noticed um, it's pretty glaring, which is the homage to Richard Donner's Superman the movie. Um, that one has, you know, Clark Kent also in civilian attire and in basically kind of an alleyway like this and then reaching out and stopping the bullet in a similar way. Right. You know, just that direct homage that's kind of, for anybody who's seen Superman the movie basically, is going to recognize the homage. That's another thing that definitely is contributed by this scene. Right. Um, and I actually, I've never seen Superman the movie. It's a an oversight. I, mm-hmm. I hope I can get around to it someday. But I, I did watch this scene. I'd rather like that. It's that whole uh, respect the past, embrace the future sentiment that I see a lot of people talking about online. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I love that Patty Jenkins, clearly she she loves superheroes. And, um, you know, Superman the movie 
made a big impression on her. Mm -hmm. She's really made Wonder Woman her own, Mm -hmm. but it's just kind of great to see that she loves these characters and she takes them seriously. Yeah. We, so here at the JLU podcast, we always like to think about themes. To be honest, I'm not sure if any of the like big themes of Wonder Woman really come into play in this scene. I, I was wondering if you have thought of any, like we've identified several themes about the power of love and other, you know, we have a whole list on our website. Um, but I don't think this scene is really about the themes. I think this is more about Diana having this moment, maybe a little bit of bonding between her and Steve and getting this action. Do you see a theme that I'm missing? Or is it really more just about having that action and that that iconic kind of memorable bit happening? It's it's really more about the characters. Like I said, I think it, it, it kind of seems to contribute to a bit of a fish-out-of-water theme, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, It's all just sort of about how how different Diana is and it's mostly I think supposed to be a fun scene which is totally fine (laughs) yeah maybe there's a little bit of just like the power of women so if you're really taking like feminist kind of themes Mm -hmm. to have her save the man maybe just that itself kind of connects to that theme right and of course Etta shows up at the end with a sword oh yeah (laughs) you know she's not exactly a fighter but she's she's a tough intelligent woman so her kind of attempting to jump into the fray, I think it goes to show that she's got a little bit of Diana in her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe every woman does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, let's go through a few more of the details, kind of right from the beginning, uh, get into the iconic stuff that happens there in the alleyway. But I will start actually with a bit of a critique here. And this like struck me the first time I was watching the movie, and I still can't get away with it. Every time I watch it, there's something that kind of bothers me a little bit it's not a big deal but (laughs) i have a little bit of a continuity critique here and it's not continuity of like oh her hat was off and now it's back on or anything like that it's more just the uh, momentum of how they framed the shots Mm -hmm. so at the end of the previous scene uh diana and steve walk away from like the front of the store right and they basically the way that it's framed it has like a left to right movement as they leave and then they're leaving away from camera And then when this scene starts, they're coming toward camera, which is okay, but it has like a right to left feel. Mm. And to me, it's always jarring. Like, I feel like they're going the wrong way on the street because I was like, physically, I was oriented to thinking of them kind of going left to right and away down the street. Um, So for me, it's just kind of like that they decided to put the camera off to the side that makes it a right to left flow. That already started me feeling like physically a little bit off. And I'm not sure why. Maybe they're, maybe that's to try to build tension, but I don't think so. But the other thing that confuses me is the German spy, who they like very carefully set up in the previous scene. Like you see him walking behind them when they're going to the store. Then you see him going through the revolving doors, and then you see him like walking after, like behind Diane and Steve. So this German guy in the recognizable hat and like the sort of tweed kind of jacket, he is following Diana and Steve, and that's what Etta seems to notice. But now in this scene, he's somehow actually in front of them, and then he like passes them like oncoming, and so I'd have I don't know how he got in front of them, and then why he's walking the opposite direction. Like I thought he was following them, so maybe he walked around the building. <laughs> it, maybe he like went. Yeah, they turned around maybe, or he like went quick and like came back. But I really yeah, don't maybe know. Maybe it's a spy thing, misdirection. <laughs> Instead of following you, I'm gonna actually go in front of you and then turn around and walk past you the other way. <laughs> It's all part of the plan. I don't know. I I really, yeah. It, it, it kind of like pulls me out of it every time a little bit. 
I, I think it's that they wanted to have the like, you know, shoulder bumping thing and then for like Steve Trevor to look at him. So they're like, okay, just go ahead and like walk towards him and bump shoulders or whatever. Right. But I'm like, but how did he get in front of him and why is he walking the opposite direction? He probably turns down an alleyway to kind of get back around to where they are. Yeah, it, it, he probably would have to jog to keep up. It's probably, like you said, um, just an attempt to have the uh, the German spy show up a couple times yeah. leading up to the confrontation. Yeah. Now, after they bump, then they do some, like, you know, very effective kind of filmmaking techniques to build the tension. We get the kind of a little bit of slow motion. We get the music really shifts from, like, the fun music of the previous scene to, like, a very tense, like, overly dramatic kind of music. Mm-hmm. And then Steve's, like, looking around, you know, and people, you know, are we suspicious of everybody? So they definitely, like, build the tension. So that is just kind of some effective filmmaking right there. Right. And Diana has no clue what he's doing. You True. know, she 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 just seems perplexed when he pulls her down into the alleyway. Yeah, he he gets very suspicious. Yeah, she doesn't live her life being as suspicious as he has. Right. Yeah, you know this like from him this comes from a lot of experiences of always looking behind his back and kind mm-hmm. of having a, a a sixth sense for something's going on here. Plus he knows that they're carrying something important. They have this intelligence that they're going to be reporting. So he probably as a spy knows like I should probably be on the lookout. Right. Yeah, so he gets suspicious, and she's not quite sure what's going on, but he kind of uh, pulls her off to the side. And this is, um, the alley is called Dunn's Yard. So I was wondering if this was a real thing in London. I couldn't find Dunn's Yard specifically, but there is a Dunn Street in London. Okay. Um, But some people have also speculated that this might be an homage. I think you actually found a little bit of info about that, possibly. Yes, I did. It's actually um, it's a reference to a character named Bill Dunn from a 1933 sorry, uh, short story written and illustrated by Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster mm-hmm. um, of Superman fame. Yeah. And the story was titled The Reign of the Superman. And this was about five years, I think, before Superman first appeared in action comics. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that they used the name Superman, although this Bill Dunn character was very different from the Superman we know. Okay. But it's significant in that it, it, it seems to have contributed to the development of Superman as a character. So it may be, it, it might be a stretch, but it um, could be a deliberate homage, uh, especially considering the fact that a lot of this scene in particular is inspired by Superman the movie. Right, yeah, so it's kind of like a double Superman connection. That's kind of right. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So then, yeah, yeah, we do get to the homage to Superman the movie, and it's not just the, like, stopping the bullet and being in civilian clothes and stuff, but it's it's even having the gun, like, kind of come out from the right side of the screen, mm, and just, yeah. just the gun sticking out first, like, that kind of shot um, is also similar. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing that, to me, does stick out, uh, and to me, this, like, has some kind of substantial meaning even though it seems like just a small throwaway line but i'm always kind of on the lookout for this kind of thing is when the spies you know come out from the shadows and then they have them surrounded and steve makes like a little you know kind of quippy comment says oh bad guy convention and that you know could just be a throwaway line like a little sarcastic thing because he's steve trevor um but he says bad guy convention and he also used that phrase, bad guys, when he said the Germans, like, they're coming on the beach. He's like, oh, those mm-hmm. are the bad guys. Right. And I think this is actually significant, like, that he is just saying, you know, there's bad guys and then there's good guys. And I'm one of the good guys. And this is, like, a very simplistic worldview. 
There, right. There are bad guys who want to do harm. I'm a good guy. We are good guys. Um, and it kind of, at this point in the movie, all still fits into Diana's simplistic worldview. Um, well, it's like you said, it's it's probably just Steve being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, from his perspective, the Germans are the bad guys. That's kind of universally accepted. <laughs> but um, it's a simplistic way of putting it. But Diana takes it completely literally. Right. You know, she she trusts him. So she has no reason to believe that, you know, he's he's lying about these guys being unambiguously bad, especially if she thinks that Ares is controlling all of them. Mm-hmm. So it's something that he means just as kind of like uh, to kind of briefly explain the situation, yeah. like when they were on the beach. But it's it's he knows it's more complicated, but right. she doesn't know that. Right. You're absolutely right. Like the key is how Diana interprets that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he, he doesn't mean it that simply for him. It's just a comment that he can make. But but for Diana at this point, she basically does see it that simply. Like, right, it's fish yeah. out of water. She doesn't really understand that it's just a phrase, throwaway phrase. Right, and she doesn't understand the full complexity of everything that led to World War One. And she thinks, you know, like, oh, if these are the bad guys, not only is it as simple as just they're bad guys, but it's also it's as simple as they're under Ares' influence. Like, anytime I see somebody who is a bad guy, Ares is behind that somehow. Right. Yeah, and we'll see that again by the end of this scene. Even she kind of like reiterates that. Mm-hmm. So I like that little thing, you know, it's it's a throwaway line, but for me I enjoy kind of getting little connections out of that kind of stuff. Hey, if it if it occurs more than once or even more than twice, then mm-hmm. it was deliberate, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Now the spies say, you know, give us Dr. Maru's notebook. So this has been like the MacGuffin for a lot of the movie and will be for a little bit longer. Um this notebook that we've seen getting, you know, carried around and it has this information. And later we'll find out what's in the notebook, but at this point we just know that it's very important and Dr. Poison is working out her stuff in there. So there's lots of tensions around that notebook still. Uh, and But Steve like is is still just kind of like nonchalant. And he's like, where did I put that thing? <laughs> it's like, I, so I like Steve's characterization. Just like, mm-hmm. even in a tense moment like this, he still has this kind of sarcastic personality. Right. I think that's just part of who he is. <laughs> yeah. My second critique of the scene here is his his headbutt because mm. I have no idea what his plan was after he headbutts the first guy. I don't think there was a plan. I don't <laughs> think I think he, he was trying to avoid this guy. So then being held up at gunpoint was if not a surprise, definitely something they were trying to avoid. You could say that. Okay, maybe we're not supposed to think about it too much. Maybe it's just supposed to be fun. But I think he just didn't know what else to do. This guy's <laughs> not going to let them go away. So he's just like, you know what? <laughs> I can try to do something or nothing. And doing nothing will get me shot. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I'll do something. That's his mantra, right? I'll tie back yeah. to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'll just say, yeah, there's maybe no other good option. But it seems like doing something more to stay alive. Because... Basically, he had no reason to, like, believe that Diana would be able to save his life in this situation. Right. So, with his course of action, he basically should have been dead within a few seconds, and then they're just going to take the notebook. So, it's not like he was saving the intelligence by sacrificing himself or something. So, he's got to try to go down fighting at the very least. I guess. (laughs) But it it ends up, you know... We we quickly forget about how stupid the headbutt was because Diana is so awesome, right? We just get <laughs> exactly. to go into and the way they filmed it too, like the the wrist coming in and then we see the bullet, like mm-hmm. they really like let that moment land where the audience gets to see 
what just happened and we see the reaction shots, right? So it gives it all more weight and makes it more cool as a moment. Right. And I think uh, Steve had completely forgotten she could do that too. Like I think he, he knew that the Amazons were all very capable fighters, but I think at this point, yeah, him heading, headbutting the guy, him kind of standing in front of her, he st- still sees himself as the one who's protecting her in the situation. Yeah, instinctively, he's going to just think, I'm the man, right? Yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. Even having seen the Amazons fight impressively on the beach, it's still a step up now to like be at the speed of a bullet in such close, right. close quarters, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something that sets her apart even from other Amazons. Yeah, so. yeah. They emphasize the moment, not just with the filming and showing the bullet and the reaction shots and letting it really sink in, but they mark it with some dialogue too, like where Steve had said, stand back. And now he says, like, or maybe not. Like, so I think those lines are good to make it like an iconic kind of instant classic sort of scene. Right. And there's a little bit of a slow-mo. Like, I think there's some slow-mo, like, when the shot is happening. But then Diana's action is all, like, in fast speed. So I thought that's cool, too, to make her, like, look pretty fast and impressive. Right. Oh, actually, one really cool thing. Um, one uh, So one of the shots, when she... I think it's when you see the bracelets for the first time when she deflects one of the bullets. Uh-huh. She, for a moment, her pose is the, uh, it looks a lot like the Rosie the Riveter pose. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. I've never made that connection before, but it totally is. Right. I think uh, the first time I saw it, I was just kind of taken in with, oh my God, this scene is so awesome. But when I, um, whenever I see it in like a, a still frame, I'm like, that's, it looks like the We Can Do It poster. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good catch. Yeah. Um, so then we get, yeah, we get into the full bracelet stuff and, uh, I like how they use the overhead shot because you can really see how she's taking things on from different angles. And I like that too, because later we will get an overhead shot too, like in the no man's land scene where we also again see like kind of bullets coming off of her shield. So I thought that's cool just as a visual language, Mm -hmm. they kind of have that, that echo of like, all right, we'll show you a little bit from straight above. And then later when we have her neck, her other amazing scene in No Man's Land, we'll have, we'll give you another taste from straight above. Right. Well, it's cool because you get to kind of see her go back and forth. So, you know, she'll attack a guy in front of her and then immediately quickly zip around and get the guy behind her. So you you get a better sense for how she's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, And it's cool to see this like Wonder Woman action, but she is not wearing her full Wonder Woman costume because like you said, they're saving that for No Man's Land and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but they also give a little taste of the Wonder Woman musical theme, but it's done here in like pizzicato strings and they save the like ripping electric cello for when she gets to the Battle of Veld. Right. So I thought that was like a good call to just give us the energy of that theme, but not make it the full on cello. Save that for later when it can really have a bigger impact. Right. This is still just a, a preview. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now she takes care of business uh, and then. Steve gets to have the last punch uh, to just <laughs> knock the final guy down, which at that point it's just like, okay, Steve, you can you can okay. do, you can do your little bit. <laughs> I contributed. <laughs> well, he, he finishes what he started, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's good too with the banter between them, like Steve being pretty impressed and says, "Is there anything else you'd like to show me?" So I, I thought those were good lines. Mm-hmm. They're not too cheesy. They're not too quippy. But they are funny, and they do like release the tension of that action that we just saw. So I thought it's right. it's in good taste. I thought, and I mean, from his perspective, what she did did come completely out of nowhere. Yeah. So I think he he would like to be a little bit more prepared next time. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so the one dude tries to get away, but we have Etta Candy with the sword, like you uh, alluded to. And to me, this is a payoff to the fisticuffs moment, like when they were in the mm-hmm. store and she like pulls her hands up. She's like, so I'm not opposed to some fisticuffs. Every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And here she does kind of just like lift the sword up a little bit, you know, kind of like how she lifted her hands up a little bit earlier. Right. So I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, but it also just shows that Etta is pretty observant. And um, Rebecca and I mentioned this in the last scene, but like good on Etta for just noticing that something was a little bit amiss by that guy, like following them. Mm-hmm. So she kind of like you know, also tailed them to see what was going to go on. Exactly. So uh, good on her to just, yeah, to actually just be, you know, aware enough to know that something might be going on. Right. And good on her for, I guess, her her bravery. I mean, she she obviously wouldn't know how to use that sword (laughs) if it came down to it. But she immediately goes and kind of to like a threatening position, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of stares the guy down. Yeah. So, you know, she's she's not one to be messed with or she's she's trying to make herself look tougher than maybe she is Mm -hmm. but um you know she she comes to the rescue and she can't do much but it um it's a nice thought and it's her putting herself in real physical danger probably right yeah yeah she didn't know like what what he still would have had if he still has a gun or anything else Mm -hmm. now she slows him down just long enough and then diana can obviously take care of it from there so she pulls out the lasso which is cool and this also is why it's good that they're, like, in an alley so that when she does this lasso move, there's not, like, everybody seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of discreet down in the alleyway. Um, but she lassos him, you know, very uh, skillfully and pulls him back. And I was just going to mention here that the head of special effects, um, Bill Westenhofer, he said in the, I think this is in the art and making of the film book, that this lasso is not just a normal rope. He says that it doesn't just compel people to tell the truth, but also, quote, the lasso is actually an extension of her. So when she throws it, it continues out on an arced path almost on its own, showing the intention of where she wants to hit. So it will stretch if necessary or wrap tautly around something. These actions are almost telepathic. That was a discussion with Patty, but it's also in the comic books as well. End quote. Mm. So I think that explains a lot of how like Diana can be so good with this lasso. Right. That it's not just throwing it with regular physics, that it has a little bit of this like she can put intentionality into how the lasso behaves. Right. And I think that it makes more sense for a movie too, because in a comic book you can do lots of crazy things that completely defy the laws of physics and it just looks so simple and effortless on a page. Mm-hmm. But when you actually see it moving mm-hmm. in live action, I think make doing that would, um, it would suddenly become a lot more difficult. Like, yeah. do you just have her lasso like, like a cowboy would lasso something? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not going to have as much visual flair. Right. I think it just visually, I think the way they decided to do it was a good call because it just looks great in so many of these scenes. Even just a little thing like this, it looks good. Right. But it's like a, later on in the movie, you know, during her, her fight with Ares, that wouldn't look as cool as it does if she wasn't able to kind of telepathically move it around. Right. It, it really is kind of in keeping with the visual effects we've seen in the DCEU so far because it kind of reminds me of how... Batman and Superman's capes are very often CGI mm-hmm. instead of practical mm-hmm. because they wanted to achieve, you know, a very specific look visually. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't going to be possible with, you know, a windblower and an actual physical cape. Right. So it, you can't use a real rope. It has to be a CGI rope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so she pulls the, the guy back and he 
we see him pull out his pill and swallow it. So knowing the era, you know, you can kind of predict what this is going to be. But mm-hmm. later, Steve confirms, you know, it's cyanide. But just now for Diana, like, she probably did not expect, oh, this guy's going to kill himself just because, like, I captured him now. Like, that's probably somewhat surprising as well. Right. Probably so completely foreign to her that, you know, she thinks the man must be under Ares's control because why else would he do something so extreme? Oh, yeah. So this, like, this death, like, he's even killing himself, like, that would be Ares. Like, Ares would maybe make somebody kill themselves like this. Right. Like, he's willing to die for the sake of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she still has a very simplistic worldview. Or she just believes the best in people and doesn't think they would yeah. willingly do this to themselves. Right. So, yeah, it, you could think of it as simplistic or you could think of it as naive where she's, like, naively optimistic. Where, yeah, she's like, people would all be just naturally good if there wasn't Ares, like, leading them astray. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but here she she asks about Ares. Like, that's where she, her mind is really directed towards Ares and it has been since she got to London like she wants to get to Ares she's on that mission very clear Mm -hmm. and this too like um you know we talked earlier about how the movie has good pacing the movie is also like just pretty clear on like what's going on like we know okay Diana is trying to get to Ares that's her like Steve is trying to do this like everybody is just very easy to follow it's all kind of very straight lined I'm not saying that as a bad thing or a good thing it's just a fact of the matter that this movie the characters are kind of put on very clear directions and they reinforce to the audience, this is what I'm doing, this is what my mindset is right now. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's good in the sense that it helps a lot of the audience really get on board with everything that's happening. Right. It um, The movie flows pretty well and I think you're, you're supposed to empathize with Diana. Like the most the most emotionally crushing moment in the film is is later when when she is sort of disillusioned and um, her entire worldview is broken up. So it, this is kind of like an adventure to her, I think. So, you know, she's, she's going out into the world and she has an idea of how she thinks this is going to go. And maybe so do we as well, because it, it, all, it all flows very smoothly. And we feel like we have a very clear idea of what's going on. Yeah, and you're right. Like, to get that emotional payoff later the filmmakers have to be pretty clear about what her worldview is Mm -hmm. so that when it crumbles, it really has like an emotional impact. So yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's just good filmmaking that they make it pretty clear to everybody because they know as filmmakers where they need it to head and they need to hit that mark later on in, you know, in act three or whatever. Right. Right. All right. So I think that will do it for us on scene 20, the alleyway fight scene. Next up, we're going to continue talking about Wonder Woman. We will look at Diana meeting Sir Patrick, and then we get a quick glimpse of Dr. Poison's terrible breakthrough. But thanks to everybody for listening, and thanks also to Suicide Squadcast for bringing us our good DCEU news. And thanks to Man of Steel Answers for everything you've done and your inspiration in podcasting. And thanks also to DCEU Minute, a cinematic minute where uh, we've been guests and it has helped us gain confidence in trying out this new format conversationally. So thanks everybody for your support.